Uh, This morning's reading is Luke 24, verses 1 to 7, the resurrection. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Amen. Okay, I want to read now from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, and just just going slightly into chapter 6 as well. So if you've got a Bible, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to begin at verse 14. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, in the time of my favour I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you, I tell you. Now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Amen. Amen. Well, is it best if I use this mic for preaching or that one? The one I've got on? Cool. Okay. Now, world history um, is sadly littered, isn't it, with innocent victims. Uh, But I think in all of history, there's no individual victim that is is as widely recognized as Jesus of Nazareth. Indeed, his crucifixion has actually become emblematic of all suffering for us. It's been argued that the the growing concern for victims within our sort of social consciousness through history, it's been argued that that is largely the result of us now seeing the sufferings of Christ in the sufferings of other people in the suffering of the slave or the child or the refugee, for example. So on a societal level, 
the gospel story of Jesus has shaped over time our consciousness in regards to people who suffer because those who suffer now remind us of Jesus. And that has had a real impact, a cultural impact on our attitudes. But for Christians, it goes further than just that. For Christian theology, Jesus's death and resurrection are not just sort of influential. They're actually also redemptive. They are, it brings salvation to our lives. So for example, the New Testament says that Jesus's life and death and resurrection were in our place. They were on our behalf for the sake of the world even. His life is somehow lived as our life. His suffering was in some deeper sense, our suffering, his death, our death, but his resurrection also is spoken of in the New Testament as our resurrection. In other words, Easter, actually involves us all. We are taken with Jesus through death and into his resurrection, and by it, the world is being saved and made new. So, so our lives are connected to Jesus Christ. Uh, the New Testament can say things like this in places, you died with Christ, You're, you were raised with Christ, it says, you are even, you've been seated with Christ, in the heavenly places in glory. And here in 2 Corinthians 5, what we just read, the Apostle Paul, he says something like that too. He connects the death and resurrection of Jesus with our life today. He says Jesus's story, yes, it influences our thinking, it certainly does that. He says it compels us and that it shapes how we now see everything. But it's more than just that, he says. In verses 14 and 15, Paul says, there's been a death and resurrection in our lives too, because of Jesus. The death and resurrection of Jesus is also a death and resurrection for me and for you in our lives, the death of who we were and the birth of something new. So we have that wonderful verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, behold, the new has come. The death of what was and the beginning of something new. And in verse 14, it says, uh, for Christ's love compels us, that literally compels, literally means has taken hold of us in the Greek. Christ's love has taken hold of us because it says we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. It's as if we ourselves died when Christ did. His death was in a sense our death too, who I was. Um, what I was, where I was, died with Christ. In fact, I, I almost wonder if Paul here is thinking even bigger than that. Christ died for all and all died, he said. Perhaps he means that everything experienced a kind of, shall we say, death on that day of Christ's crucifixion. The creator of it all, Jesus, died on a cross. And somehow everything, it was almost like everything was reset that day when Jesus died on the cross, it all stopped a kind of great cosmic universe wide ending, but it stopped so that something new could then begin on the third day when he rose from the dead, a new creation begins that thing I read uh, from a book at the beginning of the service, the first day of the week, like the first day when creation began, there is now a new first day when Jesus rose and a new creation 
has begun in his resurrection. Verse 15, he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We died with Christ in a sense, but we're also, when Christ was raised to life, it was as if we rose with him to a new life too. A life no longer, Paul says, just about myself. Interesting that he describes this new life we begin to live as followers of Jesus, as one where we no longer just think and live for ourselves, but rather for Christ. And, and what was Christ's life? It was a life orientated around love. He died for us, for the world, and rose again. So his resurrection is indeed our new life. And that's true both now, in terms of this life and what we're doing now and how we're living now, and yes, also beyond this life, beyond the grave, when we eventually are buried. Jesus has rescued, I believe, physical life. God created our lives as physical lives. And I believe that's why Jesus physically rose, so that he can rescue that too, although we will die and be buried. We too, we're told, will be raised like him in new bodies and in new life and in a new age to come. The old has gone, the new has come, we're told. And Paul says that that great event that is Easter, the death resurrection event of Jesus, has saved us. He says it reconciles you to God. In other words, it brings you back to where you should be. It brings you back to the one who is the source and center of everything, to God. So Paul describes it in this passage as a great reconciliation, a restoring together, a bringing together again of what should be together, our lives, our world, with God. The great reconciliation. In verse 19, we have one of those, I think one of the most memorable summaries of the gospel that we have in the Bible. Verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. Reconciliation, it means to, to bring back together. And notice it does not say God reconciled himself to the world as if God needed persuading to come back to us and like us again. Uh, the New Testament never puts it like that. It's not God who needed to come round it's not God that needed reconciling to us. He's never stopped loving us. It's us that stopped loving him. So the word translated sins in verse 19, uh, the Greek word there literally means to fall away from being close beside someone. We don't have an English word like that. We just put sins. In, in Greek, it means that to fall away from being close beside someone. Who falls away? Well, we do. We fall away from God's side in our lives. But the re remedy for that is this reconciliation, this bring, bringing back together. And God does that for us. He hasn't left us. We left him. We do that in a million ways in our life. But God does not stop loving us nonetheless. We stop loving him, but he will not stop loving us. And God has done something to bring us back and restore us to himself. He brings us back through Jesus, it says, not counting against us the fact that we went astray. Now, in our human relationships, 
when someone lets us down, you know, when someone falls away from our side, we might cut them off, refuse to have anything more to do with them, perhaps because they let us down. We definitely counted against them. But Paul says, God's not like that with you. God loves us just like the father in the parable Jesus told of the prodigal son. He looks forward still to us coming to our senses, like in the parable, and returning home to him. We're told in God, John's gospel, one of the most famous verses of all, God so loved the world, not hated it, God loved the world, and that's why he sent his son Jesus, so that we will not perish anymore, but will have eternal life in him. So it's not that God needed convincing to come round and like you again, that's not what the cross is about the cross did not change god's mind about us jesus died there precisely because he loves us but the cross should change our minds about god which is what the word repentance means in the bible it, it literally means to change one's thinking it means to turn back to god because when we see jesus as paul says in that passage we read everything's different now and God does all the work, Paul says here. God is the reconciler. And that's how these verses in 2 Corinthians describe our Christian message. It is the message of reconciliation, of God bringing us back to himself. And God is the one who carries all the cost of that reconciliation, all the removal of the mess that we've made, all the burying of the hatchets, all the tidying up of what, what has been, verse 21 says, in a quite profound statement that I'm not sure any of us can fully grasp, he says, he who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin for us. He, he took it all in some sense, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All, all our wounds, all our wrongs, all of it was carried by Christ. In fact, it seems to say more than just that. He, he almost became its embodiment. He became sin for us. So that, why did he do that? So that all the grace and life and righteousness and reconciliation could then be given to us because all the other bad stuff's gone now. He became sin. It's a really difficult concept to understand, but somehow Jesus took into himself actually became everything that you and I would want to put behind us, all our mistakes, all our regrets, everything we would want to move on from in your life today, Jesus became that so that he could die with it as an end to it all and then rise again so that you too can have a new beginning, like experiencing, experiencing a new birth. And in doing that, God was reconciling the world and you to himself. That's the gospel, Paul says. God has done it all through Jesus. And our question is, what's our response? Paul urges us to, to enter into this good news, to, to live within the truth of what God has done in his reconciliation. He, says, he simply says in verse 20, be reconciled to God. Uh, you haven't got to actually do anything. You've just got to be what is. In other words, live it, believe it, it's true. God's not asking you to 
add anything else that hasn't been done. It's all been done. But be reconciled. Let him reconcile you. Believe it. Live it. Live out of it, from it, in your life, in other words. If we can put it like this, let that news of what God has done for you in Christ be your new birthplace, where your life now begins from now on. The beginning of your new creation that defines now who you are for the rest of your life and beyond. Because that's what all of this is supposed to do. Christ died for all, verse 15, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. No longer just living for ourselves. That would contradict what we've now received from God. God gave himself for us, and now we live a life where we give, each, give our lives for one another and for the world. So what does it mean? This is just to leave you with this thought going on into the future. What does that mean for us to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again for us? What does that mean? In verse 18 and 19, um, when it says um, God has given us the message of recon reconciliation, actually what it literally says in the Greek is that God has put into us the message of reconciliation. He's put it into us. It's not just a thing, you know, living this reconciliation of God in our lives. It's not just a thing we ought to do. He's put it in you. It's who you are now as a Christian. It's what we are. So on this Easter, what will that look like? What will it look like to our friends, to our neighbours, to our family, to our community here in, West, in South Somerset? What will it look like to the world to see a church where God has put in us the message of reconciliation? Let's pray. Father, we ask you, well, we thank you, first of all, for all that you've done. We thank you for Jesus, for his life given on the cross, and then his life begun again in resurrection. Thank you that in some profound sense, Lord, we don't really we don't fully grasp this yet, but in some sense, when he died, who we were died with him. When he was raised, we have been raised as a new creation. Lord, we might not understand that fully in our minds, but we can live it fully in our lives. So help us to live as a new creation. Help us to live as those who no longer live just for themselves, but for him who died and rose again for us. Help us to share that with the world in what we do. Help us to think as a church about what it will look like to be people who you've put into us, reconciliation. We thank you for Easter. Thank you for that wonderful morning when the disciples went to the tomb full of grief and they left, not yet knowing what to think, for Christ had risen. And we thank you over these next few days and weeks as we read that Easter story continue. How Jesus appeared to them, how he spoke to them, how he gave his spirit to them, and how he commissioned them to go into the world with this good news. And that's who we are too. May Christ through this year continue to appear to us, speak to us, give his spirit to us, 
and send us out as people of reconciliation. And in his name we pray this. Amen.